Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. For five weeks now, we've been in a series where we've just been explaining why, why we care so much about this. Why we care so much about shalom and justice. Why we feel like we should, we have to be the Love the Ville Church. Why this is a hill that we will will die on. Why we put so much of our energy and our time and our money and our resources into caring for the poor. We've been explaining why. And I hope you've caught a vision for it. Now, it's interesting. I was at a uh, a conference um, for, for pastors many years ago. And I was actually telling them about our Love the Ville movement and was just taking off and some of the things that we were doing that were unique, I thought. And, um, and after it was over, one of the pastors came up to me and, uh, and he said, well, okay, I appreciate all the stuff that you're doing for the poor, but you know, like, what's the point of, of feeding a hungry person a meal if they're just gonna go to hell at the end of it anyways? Now, it's a b- bit of a brash way to you know, make his point, but his, his point was, was this, and it's not a bad one, okay? Just gotta, gotta get underneath of a little bit of the emotion there. Um, his point was evangelism's important. Evangelism's important. Um, and I agree with that. Evangelism is of the, the utmost importance, and we believe that here. Maybe you grew up in a church that, uh, that leaned in this direction, you know, that taught you, you know, you should be inviting someone to Christmas Eve. Like, who are you praying for? Who's the one, you know, the one that you're praying for in 2023 that you're gonna, you know, lead to Jesus. And I'm for that. There's no hate here when it comes to that. Evangelism is a priority of a healthy and biblical church, is an unequivocal command of Jesus. However, I also believe that evangelism can be quite hollow if you tell someone, hey, Jesus loves you while their kids starve. If you say, hey, hey, God cares about you while they're freezing under a bridge. You know, if you treat somebody who's, uh, you know, a refugee like a stranger, but you're like, God, Jesus, for God so loved the world, it just, it feels like an incomplete love to me. You get what I'm after? So, Historically, the historic Christian position has always been to value both. To to look at justice and evangelism kind of like a plane with two wings, right? You got the justice wing, you got the evangelism wing, and in order for the plane to soar, you got to have both wings on the plane to see the mutually beneficial relationship that the two have with one another. Or let me say it to you like this. Um, It's not an either or, it should be a both and for the biblical Christian. Next slide here. We should focus on spiritual justice, which is giving sinners what they don't deserve, grace and forgiveness. We should also focus on social justice, which is giving the least what they do deserve. That's love and dignity. This is the model of the ministry of Jesus. Now, uh, here's what I tell you fine. If If you look in God's word, you'll see that that Jesus, I think in equal portions, throws his weight into both of these. Okay, so this is why Jesus, whenever he heals somebody uh, of a physical sickness, he'll forgive their sins at the same time. You see him do this? It's like a physical 
and a spiritual healing at the same time. Uh, this is why uh, Jesus, when he teaches in parables, he'll teach parables about evangelism, like the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. But then later he'll teach a parable about how when you love the least of these, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, you're actually loving me. When you throw a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled there, not just your friends. You see, this is why in Luke Acts, the very last sermon Jesus preaches in Acts chapter one before he ascends is Luke's great commission. Go testify about my resurrection, serve as witness to me to the ends of the earth. It's an evangelism challenge, right? But his first sermon in Luke chapter four is what? He says, I have come, these are Jesus' words, I have come to proclaim the good news to the poor. So again, it's not an either or, it's a both and. One fuels the other. Okay, in my mind, like spiritual justice fuels, uh, you know, or social justice fuels spiritual conversion. Spiritual conversion uh, fuels social justice because when you bring people into the faith, people's hearts get enlarged for their neighbor, especially the poor. And when you are a Love the Ville church that cares about social justice, it actually gives you credibility to evangelize. You see, you see how they just fuel each other? So that's our posture here at Northeast. Now, I wanna get back, I wanna look at uh, this, this sermon, this first recorded sermon, just briefly here, Luke chapter four, verse 18, because I think Jesus' words are beautiful. He's actually quoting Isaiah, but he's saying that he's the fulfillment of one of Isaiah's prophecies here. Uh, Luke 4, 18, primacy of place in the Bible does matter. So the fact that this is the first sermon that Luke puts on Jesus' lips matters. Luke is trying to make a theological statement to you about what he thinks Jesus cares about and what will set up his ministry from this point forward. So Luke 4, 18, Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me. The spirit has anointed Jesus for what? To bring good news to the poor. Sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Word of the Lord. What a beautiful message. Beautiful message. He goes on to like restate this several times throughout his ministry. This, this passage has become one of his most remembered teachings. It just sort of echoes throughout the gospels. He says things like, you know, what you do for the least of these, you do. For me, Jesus' words, right? Yeah, see that hand in the back, go ahead. Jesus, you mean the man in the gutter? Yes, when you see the man in the gutter, you should see me. Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Yeah, see that hand in the back, go ahead. Jesus, now in my culture, that's not what we call hashtag blessed. Poor, in my culture, hashtag blessed is putting pictures on Instagram of your feet on the beach. That's the hashtag blessed life. It's putting pictures of me and my friends drinking handcrafted cocktails on Christmas. Hashtag blessed, three filters, right? That's it, Jesus. And Jesus like, I got a big different take than that. Jesus teaches, when you throw a party, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, not your friends, because your friends can pay you back. Jesus teaches, it is more blessed to give than receive. Jesus teaches, what is it to gain the whole world if you lose your soul? Jesus teaches, the widow gave more because she gave all. Jesus teaches, if someone asks you for a coat, give it. If they want you to walk a mile, walk two with them. Jesus teaches, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Jesus teaches, if you just love your tribe, 
That makes you no different than anyone else. Love your enemy. And Jesus also teaches a new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Yeah, see that hand in the back. One more question, go ahead. Jesus, didn't you die on the cross for us? Exactly, now you're starting to wrap your arms around the nature of my love. Now, these things are radical, right? They're radical. They really make us think. But here's the historical reality. They work when you take them seriously. When you read them literally and don't spiritualize them away. They work. Many of the greatest heroes of justice in our time, you realize they were Christians. And what empowered them spiritually to do the social work was their relationship with Jesus. Can I offer you just a few examples today? In the 19th century, one Swiss Jesus follower named Jean-Henri Durant, fantastic beard. Uh, He couldn't stand the sound of soldiers crying out on the battlefield after they had been wounded. So he started an organization with Clara Barton, pictured here, to alleviate human suffering that donned a large red cross as their symbol. Do you know the red cross? Have you heard of the red cross? How about the Salvation Army started by William Booth? Methodist preacher and his wife, Catherine, the first general in the army. How about World Vision or Samaritan's Purse or Compassion International? Uh, Years ago, we planted five churches with Compassion International in Cochabamba, Bolivia, because Bolivia is the poorest country in South America. And I'm sure many of you, like Lindsay and I, have uh, sponsored kids through one of these organizations. Just a few months ago, we literally gave thousands of dollars to Samaritan's Purse to do disaster relief because those people are everywhere. We talked earlier in this series about the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Do you remember this? An extraordinary global accomplishment, late 1940s after World War II, pretty important time to proclaim the worth of every human being, right? What made this so extraordinary is it brought countries from all sorts of different religions and backgrounds together around the truth that all humans have dignity just by the simple fact that they're humans. But it kind of sucked God out of the conversation. However, did you know that the chairwoman for the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was Eleanor Roosevelt, compelled to lead because of her faith in Jesus? What about William Wilberforce, one of the founding fathers of the anti slavery movement in the West? By 1807, he led Britain's parliament to abolish the transatlantic slave trade. And eventually he got to see the Emancipation Act passed in 1833. What about Sojourner Truth? First off, baller name. Second off, born a slave, set free by a couple of Quakers who are Christians, converted to Christianity, a social activist against slavery, and author of the controversial speech, Ain't I a Woman? What about Father Damien? Lover of lepers. Hawaii's first saint. He moved to a place called the Island of the Living Dead. Um, because It's called that because of the leper colony. And that's where he lived. That's where he ministered to lepers for years. He raised money. He raised awareness. Until eventually he caught leprosy himself and died there with his brothers. 
What about Frederick Douglass, 19th century abolitionist statesman who escaped slavery and became one of the great political orators and anti-slavery activists of the Civil War era? What about Harriet Tubman, the conductor of the Underground Railroad and the only woman that I've ever heard of nicknamed Moses? What about Florence Nightingale, pioneer of modern day nursing? What about Susan B. Anthony, the leading women's suffragist and social crusader of the 20th century? Based on this picture, she is not a woman to be trifled with. <laughs> Dare you to tell her that she can't vote. <laughs> what about Pandita Ramabai, greatest uh, female social reformer in the history of India? What about Dorothy Day? perhaps the greatest advocate for the homeless of the 20th century in our country? What about Martin Luther King Jr., the father of the American Civil Rights Movement? What about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Jeremy, uh, German anti-Nazi uh, theologian? He resisted the complicity of the National German Lutheran Church, spoke out against Nazism, fought it, and then ended up dying for his convictions because he's thrown in a concentration camp. What about Ruby Bridges? Oh, this picture, this picture. This is the little first grade black girl who desegregated Louisiana schools in 1960. She said the first morning she went to school, the US Marshals drove her and her mom there together. The next morning, her mother told her that she couldn't ride with her to school because she had to work and look after her brothers and sisters. But she said to Ruby on that second morning, Ruby now, remember, if you get afraid, say your prayers. You can pray to God anytime, anywhere. He will always hear you. And Ruby said that she prayed every day on the way to school. As a child, prayer was her protection from all the ugliness around her. What about John Perkins, Christian minister, civil rights activist, community developer, probably our generation's greatest example of bringing both evangelism and justice work together for the sake of shalom. What about Nelson Mandela, imprisoned for over 20 plus years for fighting apartheid in South Africa, but eventually released, named the first president of South Africa. And then when he became president, rather than getting vengeance on the racists, you know what he did? Started the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in order to cultivate forgiveness and heal the system. What about Oscar Romero, Archbishop of El Salvador? Romero spoke out against social injustice and the government and the insurgents didn't like it. So that's why in 1980, they assassinated him while he was leading mass one Sunday morning. What about Corazon Aquino, mother of Asian democracy, first female president of the Philippines, a Christian, And what about this saint, Mother Teresa? We all recognize her. What a beautiful picture of her. Nobel Prize winning missionary, caretaker of India's poor. Like the story of her lecturing the president and Congress about abortion is just legendary. Now I could go on, but you get the point, right? Squad. Like that's, that's who I roll with, that's my family. Those are my people, be hanging with them forever, literally. And what's the one thing they got in common? 
Jesus is their why. Now, uh, if you go through a list of Jesus' teachings, you go through a list of heroes for him like that, it's just, it's inspiring, right? You think to yourself, man, I wanna add my name to that list. I just want a fraction of their courage, fraction of their compassion. Don't you, it kind of awakens our soul. You're like, yeah. But here's my question for you today, all right? If we all agree that um, a life poured out in radical love like that for the least is just so inspiring and so magnetic and so laudable and so, 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 so very godly, if we agree on that, then why is it, y'all, that it is so stinking hard for us to do? There's just this resistance inside of us, this fear, this opposing longing for safety and security and comfort up against that deep longing for sacrifice and servanthood. I mean, you've got Father Damien over here taking a vow of celibacy and moving to a leper colony and dying there. And we're like, yeah, praise God for Father. But then it's hard for us to give an hour a month to a soup kitchen five minutes down the road. I've got to protect my Saturdays. Schedule's so busy. Kids are on three travel ball teams. I have season tickets for the cards, Tyler. You don't understand. We got Mandela putting 27 years in prison for what he believed in. It's hard for some of us to give a couple hundred bucks to the poor. You know, money's tight, pastor. We just hired a cleaner, so we gotta watch our spending. Do Dorothy Day's faith led her to literally build homes for the homeless and live there with them half the time. But we're like, I have faith. I have faith that God will give us the money to upgrade to our dream home. God, we believe for it. You know, it's Instagram faith. I believe a heart for the poor lives in all of us. I do. It sleeps in all of us. But it is so hard to wake up. We just resist it. Here's the reason why. God has made our souls for shalom. He has, that's the deep longing. But sin has marked our souls with selfishness. And we just spend our lives fighting in the tension of that. Now, Martin Luther, great 16th century reformer, um, in his lectures on Romans, he spoke about, he spoke about this thing um, uh, called the uh, incurvatus in se which is Latin for uh, to be turned or curved inward on oneself. And uh, Luther's uh, theory was this, that's the shape of the human soul. It's just naturally curved in on itself, turned in toward itself in selfishness. He wrote, um, our nature is so deeply curved in on itself that it wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks to use all things, even God, for its own sake. Mm. Now, if that's the bent of the human soul, inward towards selfishness, I might ask you, what's the sign that we are refashioning our uh, souls in the direction of Christ? Well, it's when our souls are bent outward, not inward, right? One of the signs that we have truly embraced, experienced God's grace is a radical commitment to sacrificing for others, right? Because that's what Jesus did. Again, so difficult though. We live in a hyper-individualistic culture right now that actually disciples us to bend our souls even further inwards. Just kind of crumples our souls up in my opinion. 
Uh, Robert Bella uh, wrote on this in 1985 in his classic book, uh, Habits of the Heart. One of the chapters, uh, chapter nine, he talks about Sheilaism. Sheila, is anybody in here named Sheila, by the way? Okay, so I'll just apologize to you ahead of time, Sheila. Okay, so basically in the book, he talks about how they found a woman named Sheila Larson and they asked her this question, what's your religion? What's your religion? And her response famously was Sheilaism. Sheila, my religion is, is Sheilaism. She said, I listen to a voice in my heart for what is right and wrong. This is in 85. She's ahead of the curve. Um, I worship the little voice inside that tells me what to do. It's Sheilaism, and there's only one person in my religion. Me. <laughs> now, um, here's what I respect about Sheila. At least she's honest. Because she is just stating plainly the individualistic ethos of our culture. That so many of us try to baptize and hide under fad phrases like, just follow your heart, you do you, find your truth, do what you feel, treat yourself. It's self-care, girl. But that is not how Jesus defines a life of love. Like when I look at Jesus, I just see a man bent outward toward others, don't you? Poured out. I see a man in Jesus who loved to grab a box of, of crumble cookies, party box, and show up on people's front door. I see a man who hung out in cancer wards or at free medical clinics or in the cafeteria of nursing homes. I see a man who used his car rides to pray for people. I see a guy who did small favors to let his neighbors and friends know that he cared. I see a guy who could not give his resources, influence, and power away fast enough. I see a guy who didn't judge people based on the color of their skin or the country that they came from or the religion of their family. I see a guy who gave felons, addicts, prostitutes, and liars a spot at the table and the benefit of the doubt. I see a brand of generosity in Jesus that challenges the quality of life that I and so many of you have gotten comfortable with. When I look at Jesus, I see a man willing to lay it all down for me and not just in my best moments, but especially for my worst. So Philippians 2.12 says this. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with holy awe and wonder. Not work hard to earn your salvation, work hard to show the results of it. We don't do good to get saved. We love because we are saved. This is how your life looks when the Holy Spirit begins to bend you back to normal outwards. So I need this reminder today. I need it. And so do you. This is a life mantra of mine. I wanna share it with you now. I believe this. I believe that when I serve outside my comfort zone, when I give until it hurts, to those who can offer me nothing in return because I trust Jesus's way and because I cherish God's grace. It actually changes me more than it changes others. Can I get an amen from anybody else in this room? You know, you know, 
Now, I know so many of you believe this, but it's hard to do. Ah, it's hard. So uh, I want to help you catch a real-life vision today of someone in our church family who is imperfectly trying to do this, and I think is doing it quite well. She's inspired me many times over the years. Um, she's now on our staff as an outreach leader. She didn't start that way. I'm going to let her tell her story. Will you welcome Leslie Bowman up on stage with us right now? Come on up, Leslie. AKA Miss Point Five in the East End, AKA the white church lady in the West End. That's right, that's right. Thank you for joining us today. I know you're not nervous about this at all. Third time's a charm, right? That's right. You did great the first two. Don't say that. <laughs> Negative self-talk, you did awesome. Um, so just give us a bio. Just a little bio, tell us about you, tell us about your family, Northeast, all that. Yeah. So uh, my name's Leslie Bowman and I've been going to church here for just over 20 years, which is crazy to say. I'm married to my amazing husband for 26 and a half years. Uh, you'll see a picture here of my family. I have a son, Mason, who's 22, a daughter, Sophie, who's 19, a son, Graham, who's 15, and uh, the Lord saw fit to bless us with a son from Cameroon, uh, Gadell, who's 28. A wonderful family. Mm -hmm. um, so. Walk us through the story of how you went from being, you know, like you were, you were Christian, but kind of on the sidelines, mm -hmm. to really devoting your life to serving the least, then eventually ending up on staff here. Yeah, so um, <coughs> thankfully, Matt and I both grew up in the church. Um, we definitely attended regularly, but um, the relationship was definitely not there. It was more of a ritual than a relationship. And uh, we were uh, married uh, 23 and 24, and we had some pretty um, hard things happen to us the first five to seven years of our marriage. Um, Matt's father lost his battle with cancer very quickly within two months of us finding out that he even had cancer. Mm. And we gave birth to our first son, and Matt was in school, and I was working, and just trying to adult and know how to, to live life. And um, we did seek counseling and things would get better for a while, but Jesus says that we are gonna have troubles and those kept coming and we had job loss and we had um, just worldly desires that sort of took over um, the presence of where God should be in our heart, to be honest. And um, one day I just uh, parked my car next to a car that had a big sticker on the side of it that said Mercy Ministries, that it was a marriage ministry. And I sat there and I waited because um, Matt and I had talked about divorce and we talked about maybe that was our next step. We just didn't know how to um, repair our marriage. And um, I sat there and waited for a woman to get to her car and I just said, we need help. For the record, I told you this last service. Yeah. That is the only story I've ever heard in my entire life where a bumper sticker worked. Right. <laughs> a bumper Otherwise sticker dumb, saved people. our marriage. Okay. So, he was so anyway, um, I think God was just like, listen, I'm going to put her right here so you don't miss yeah. it. You're going to pay attention this time. No doubt. Uh, so um, we met with them for over a year. They mentored us and uh, really just taught us how to put God at the center of our relationship, how to pray together, 
um, how to serve together. And we began um, serving out of our suffering and really found joy and uh, found peace and found Jesus um, out of serving in our suffering. And um, Matt got plugged into the schools and we had an initiative um, at Northeast with the TAP school. It was the first year that we were gonna start having mentors. And I jumped on board and got trained. And I have a sweet picture here of Brianna and I. Um, I met her when she was 16 years old and had just had a baby. And you know, we had a one-year commitment to meet regularly and just, I thought, try to help her and encourage her and her life. And uh, that picture was nine years later. She's got two little baby girls now. And she is our family. Um, we meet regularly. Uh, this Friday was her 24th birthday, and my daughter and I took her out, and it was just beautiful to see how um, I can pour into her and she pours into my daughter about just struggles of being a young woman in today's world, and it's just a beautiful relationship um, that came out of just a, a step to serve yeah. something new. I just want to highlight <clears throat> something that you said, highlighted every service, because I think this is such an important point. You served through your suffering, right? Yes. So you're serving through suffering. And not only did it bring healing in your life, but it enriched your life beyond that. Yeah. It I reconciled our relationship and it reconciled us with God, which yeah. is what led us to this moment. So and it just could be a grateful. word for somebody in here this morning now. Right. Um, uh, so Jesus says, you know, when we serve the least of these, mm -hmm. we meet him. Um, so that's why at Northeast we believe in mutual transformation. Like we know that when we serve, we oftentimes get more out of it than, than we put into it, right? We meet Jesus there. So you have served over the last several years um, lot, lots of different, different people. Mm -hmm. um, can you just tell us a story of maybe one person that you have served that has really changed you and your family? Yes. So... Um I served pretty regularly for about seven or eight years in um, different homeless shelters and outreaches for um, our neighbors in the city that are houseless. And um, one day in the, in the gym, I noticed a guy that uh, would walk in the rain and the snow back and forth to the gym. And um, we started talking one day and uh, then he ended up in my classes and we would spend some time after class just talking about his story and where he came from um, in Cameroon and um, what just um, what he grew up in and what he went through. And um, I invited him to dinner uh, to meet our family. I think we have a picture of him yeah, here. Um, sweet, is. you know, how can you not love that face? But. Um, <laughs> So invited him for dinner and met the family. And shortly after that, um, when he left, I just asked my husband if he would pray about um, allowing him to move into our home as um, just really taking a bold move for God because I just felt like we had the means to help him. We had an empty room. That's all we had. We had no plan. We had no process. We didn't know for how long. We just saw a need and we wanted to help get him out of the situation that he was currently living in. And um, we had a little family meeting because at that time my son was in elementary, my daughter was in middle school. 
and my son was just starting high school, and we had a lot of people honestly say, what are you doing? Like, this is crazy. Yeah. This is crazy. And um, my husband immediately said yes, and he said, you know, um, look what God has done for us, mm-hmm. and if we can just help this young man, um, let's make a bold step, and let's, let's do it. So can I say this real quick? The, the, the wisdom of God is not the wisdom of this world, Right? So the wisdom of this world says, okay, you met this guy randomly at the gym, right. Leslie. Right, I know. Um, you've got, you know, uh, elementary kid, you got a middle school daughter. Yep. This is a large black man. Yes. Here are all the reasons you should be prejudicial right yeah. now and not let him live in your home. But that's, that's the wisdom of this world, and it's right. not wisdom at all, right? The wisdom of God says, maybe I'm calling you to do something different. So how has he changed your life? I mean, honestly, um, this was six and a half years ago. He's been in our family. And um, that was a pivotal point that our lives changed from serving to really, um, Matt said it the best, just using our marriage as a ministry. I mean, God saved our marriage. And um, we owe our life together to just do what we can um, to help others, and it really f- flipped us into a ministry, and um, Goodell was our little global ministry at home. Uh, I think we have another picture of our family all together. Last year, we went to um, Disney World together, and of course, he's in the happy shirt because he was like a two-year-old, and first time on roller coasters and all that was really fun. Um, so You're sneezy. Yes, I'm sneezy. That's I don't like the know worst why. Elf. I got the worst elf. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so it's the Ohio Valley. I mean, I sneeze. <laughs> it's true. It's a good point. Um, how has he changed us? I mean, first of all, in measurable ways, we don't have time to, to go into all the ways. But as I was reflecting on this, there's so many ways that around the kitchen table as my kids grew up, and they might have complained about school or a project or even going to school, you know, he would jump in and say, look, I didn't even get to finish my high school education because the militia shut down my high school Mm. the last two years. Um, He was always there to encourage when they left the house, my older two left the house. Uh, He's the first one to send notes and texts of encouragement and just, explaining to them what a, what a gift it is that they can continue their life um, and grow in their education and in their faith and their adulthood without any freedom issues um, that he had to grow up with. Um, and honestly, our family became globally focused. Um, he taught us a lot, videos with his mom and pictures of his brother's little girls. And um, we, we grew up thinking globally, which I don't think we would have thought of otherwise. And um, I took my first global mission trip this year, and that is no coincidence. Um, And my daughter is going to Africa in January, which is also no coincidence um, since we've had an African living in our house for six and a half years. So um, he is our child. He is our blessing. um, And uh, we just, we don't know what our life would look like without him. Yeah. Yes, God has blessed you all so much through Goodell, but I know that Goodell would, would say that you have been such a blessing to him, so he actually sent us a little video just expressing his love to you and your family. I'll show it right now. 
Hello, mom and dad. I just want to say happy Christmas and happy new year in advance. And I just want to take this time to tell you guys, I really appreciate you guys. And I equally thank God for sending you guys into my life. Because without you guys, I don't know where I would have been today. You guys gave me an opportunity to better myself. And not only myself, but being able to help my family back in Africa, being able to help my mom, being able to help my brother's kids, my grandma, and everybody in my family. And I'm truly grateful for that. You guys brought me into your family, gave me a place to sleep, and equally gave me a family, gave me siblings. And I just want to say, Graham, Sophie, Mason, Gigi, Granddad, Mom, Dad, you all, I love you guys so much and I'm so grateful and I'm so blessed to have you guys in my life. Happy Christmas and Happy New Year in advance and I love you all. Yeah. I like, come back up here, Leslie. Come back up here. What a sweet soul this young man is. Come back up here. What, I got one last question for you. Grab the mic, okay? I got one last question for you. If you had to, to challenge our church to love the Ville, you know, this Christmas in one, one way, what would you say to our church? Um, about nine years ago, I had a sweet friend who challenged me. It's um, New Year's resolution time. And I thought, please don't make another, uh, you know, New Year's resolution that you're going to lose weight or stop drinking Diet Coke or something like that. And uh, she challenged me to pick a word and to live that word for the year. And um, I thought I'd share just a couple words that I've had over the past eight or nine years. I've been doing it every year since. And that has taken me on this ride with Jesus that's been amazing and beyond what I could ever imagine. Um, the first word was yes. The year of yes. That got me to high school beach camp. That got me to a house mom, a house leader all four years of high school when we used to do that. Things that I said no to over and over again, but then I couldn't because it was my year of yes. Um, also, um, another word that I loved was just to be intentional. Um, be intentional with people that if the Lord brings them to mind, just send them a text, send them a note, drop something on their doorstep, even if it's somebody you haven't talked to in a while or you feel like you need to make amends with. But what I loved about my year of intentionality, I started going, you know, we all run the same errands and I would go the same day to Kroger and I would go to the same line and I met my sweet Gloria, who was a cherished um, friend of mine for three years that um, I was able to go on break with her and just pray with her and just really get to know people that you don't notice. You see the same people when you go to Target, when you go to Walmart, whatever. Mm -hmm. Just be intentional with your life and your, your time. Don't be in such a rush to rush in and out. Um, working at the church, I'll let you know, um, an insecurity of mine is that I'm not a pastor. Every time they say, you're a pastor, this is your ministry, I always go, not a pastor. I, but Tyler always says, yes, you are. Yes, you are. So I have an insecurity. I, I, I think I'm old enough now that I've lost about every brain cell to like memorize scripture. I, I'm just not good at that. That was never my gift. And, but I can love people and God's teaching me that that's okay. Just love people and you don't have to know all the right words. Um, so cultivate was my word for this year. I've done the Bible reading plan in a year this year. I'm almost finished. And every book that I've read has been about the character of God and just growing more and more in love with him. And um, 
I've changed my Bible studies to just line by line scripture, um, just really, really trying to hide God's word in my heart. Um, so this year, I'll give you a hint, my 2024 were, or what was, 2023, 20, 23. 2023. <laughs> 20, You've got we're all already your brain planning cells. 2023, y'all, so I'm already in 2024. Okay, so my 2023 word is bold. And this was my first step. Getting on this stage, talking about myself is not my comfort zone. So. Can you thank Leslie? I really appreciate you sharing your story, Leslie. Just come back up here one more time. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm kidding. You did so good today, Leslie. Thank you. Um, I, when we invited Leslie on staff, I just want you to know, we did not invite her on staff because she had a seminary degree or because she knew the Hebrew word for peace or anything like that. We invited her to be a leader of the Love the Ville movement, literally hundreds of people, and then like our face out in the community because she was already doing it. She was doing it. When I looked at her life, I aspired towards that sort of love. And so I love the word bold, Leslie. Maybe that's a word for somebody in this room. Uh, I also love Leslie's humility because the whole time you can just hear how, how much this journey God's taken her on has, has changed her. So let me summarize what Leslie's discovered, okay? Just wanna summarize it for you. She's discovered that when I serve outside my comfort zone, when I give until it hurts to those who can offer me nothing in return because I trust Jesus's way and because I cherish God's grace, it changes me even more than it changes others. Now, I've been thinking a lot about how Love the Ville has changed this community over this sermon series, but this week it just hit me on a personal level, how much it's changed me personally. Just being a part of this church and being about what we're about, the ways it has enriched my life. Okay, so Lindsay and I came here 10 years ago because we felt like God was calling us here. We did not have a Love the Ville vision at this point. It wasn't a Love the Ville church you know, then, but we did feel like God wanted us here. We didn't know anybody in Louisville, we didn't know any of y'all, okay? And family here, um, strange place. And uh, we feel like uh, we gave a lot. Like, I mean, I, we'll die at this church, God willing, we will. And, um, and we gave this place our, our lives, 25. But you only got one life, all right? So it's a pretty big gift, I'm just saying. Uh, that said, over the last 10 years, this place, this mission, this work that we're about, it's changed us so much more than we could ever for do for this place. The places that this church has, has led me to, to go in this city around the world, I would have never visited otherwise. But because I did, my perspective was broadened, I met new people, I was given spiritual resources I did not have otherwise. The friendships that I've cultivated because of this Love the Ville mission from you know, little Yinny, our Bolivian girl that we sponsor to Emmanuel, the Congolese refugee who has become a dear friend, is at the 9 a.m. this morning, um, to, to co-laborers in Christ like Damian Thompson at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Like these people have blessed my life in expressible ways. 
just getting the opportunity to be able to bless so many people, like as a church. Few people get that opportunity. We tell stories every week. Few people get that opportunity. I'm just telling you, you need to serve just so you can feel it yourself because when you are the answer to somebody's prayer, like they're like, I've been praying to God for this and you get to be God's hands in those moments and say, the Lord bless and keep you. There is something that revitalizes and awakens the human soul in that moment. I've gotten to do that hundreds of times because of this place, because of what we're about. This church has changed my career goals, my financial priorities. Uh, I've learned so much about the Bible and justice work. I think differently about Christmas. It's provided me a place where I can disciple my kids with confidence. They'll know what Jesus is about. And maybe more importantly than anything else, it's introduced us to so many of you, some of the most God-fearing, Jesus-loving, generous, humble people on the face of the planet Earth. You inspire us. In, in some seasons, you have kept my faith alive. I've seen people in this church give cars. I've seen people in this church write six-digit checks. I've seen people in this church give their kidney. I've seen folks in this church revitalize entire neighborhoods. I've seen people move to different parts of the city or to even different countries from our church. I've seen people leave jobs, well-paying jobs in the corporate se uh, sector, take a pay cut in order to work for nonprofits. I've seen people do uh, join charity boards. I've seen people invite strangers into their homes. And you know, maybe more importantly than that, I've seen so many poor and marginalized people in our city just light up, light up when you or our church comes around. So I'll speak from experience. To those of you this Christmas wrestling with the emptiness and futility of chasing the American dream and you know you were made for something more and you hunger for joy, here's the key. Serve outside your comfort zone. Give until it hurts to those who can offer you nothing in return because Jesus is why and because God's grace is beautiful and I'm telling you it'll change you more than you ever could have hoped. So uh, this Christmas... This Christmas, I dare you to test God on this. I dare you. Make this Christmas about shalom. Biblical justice means going to the places where the fabric of shalom has broken down, where the weaker members of society are falling through the cracks and then repairing it because that's what Jesus did for you on the first Christmas. This is what I dare you to do this Christmas. On the first Christmas, Jesus stooped down and he became one of us. And then he stooped down even lower and became our sin. That's the way of the one true image of God. And we have his image stamped on us, don't we? A heart for the poor sleeps in all of us. This Christmas, I pray your heart is awakened.